Hey guys, Joe Miles here with Osseo Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. All right, guys, um, welcome back to the Mission Whitetail podcast. Uh, we got a really, really special guest today, Andre DeQuisto. Uh, been in the Whitetail game for a long, long time. Knocked down some of the biggest deer really on the planet and uh, just an incredibly accomplished uh, Whitetail deer hunter. And as everybody knows, the Mission Whitetail podcast is about helping guys get better and really raising the bar on these deer that they're chasing. And I really can't think of a better guest to have than Andre DeQuisto here with us today. Um, Andre, welcome. Thank you so much. We're humbled to have you here and really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So, um, I mean, most guys know, you know, a good bit about your history, um, but if you don't mind, would you just kind of give us a background? I mean, you, you know, you kind of pioneered and revolutionized this mobile hunting and really the tree stand game, if you will, and um, just super impressive what you did for our industry and how you helped so many hunters. Oh, I appreciate that. Well, 40-some years ago, uh, I started uh, bow hunting. Um, my story is a little later. I've hunted all my life, but really didn't pick up bow hunting for whitetail until it was our early 20s. So I had a late start at it. Um, and what I did is uh, I had no other hobbies. Um, I I got into this whitetail hunting. It just, it, the bug just bit me. And once I got rolling on that, I would basically hunt every year, take my equipment the rest of the year and fumble around with it, you know, improve it, uh, get ready for the following year. So as those decades went on, um, our equipment kind of evolved. It became lighter, became more compact, more user friendly. Uh, and I found that, uh, 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 the biggest thing was the noise factor. I don't know if, when you guys started, but uh, back in the day, the, uh, what was keeping most of them deer alive was, uh, guys were getting on them, getting close to them and the old creaky stands. Um, yep. you, you remember those, remember them well. Yeah. Well, and so did, so do the deer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so we got them quieter. We got them more mobile. And then, um, it's funny. A lot of guys starting out now are having better, way better success than I did when I started out. I had a tough time just hooking into getting a doe. And, uh, my first bucket was like, uh, if anybody was an experienced guy, it was me starting out. And because I had nobody in the family that hunted, um, I kind of took it on my own. I kind of got into my own groove and started learning things as I went along um, and didn't listen to like, you know, what the, the old industry adages were. So uh, where I found success, I crawled down those holes and, um, and I got better and just kept, kept bouncing around. So um, now we're, here we are um, decades later. Uh, I still got the passion, yep. but we're, we're kind of running on a rope. We're always looking for something a little bigger to chase after and a, you know, a little, a little more exciting, but, uh, um, that's where we're at now today. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And I mean, you, you, you own uh lone wolf tree stands and then lone wolf custom gear, which is, I guess, an offshoot or a, or a more high level type stand. Um, Correct. so, and that business is flourishing and, and you guys are, you know, just 
killing it with that. And, and, you know, I guess that when you're not hunting, that really is your passion is making the stands better for guys. So my passion obviously was hunting, but it's weird that uh, everything's gone first circle. And it seems like guys now are tinkering around with equipment and equipment's a big part of the game. Uh, the equipment for me was a tool to get the job done. And I see a lot of uh, guys more excited about their equipment and stuff than they almost are about the hunting now. So there's kind of some weird things going on there. Very weird. Yeah. So I normally don't follow suit. I build stuff for me, but uh, we've been having some success because in the last few years, I'm building stuff for other guys and what they're wanting. We're filling their needs. So, um, you know, I'm not a saddle hunter, but we, we got two model saddle platforms now. Yep. We have another two coming out. Um, the Cooner um, friend of mine's got his belt coming out. So that's a big portion of the business and, and the stuff. So we're going we're gonna to cater to those guys. And we're still doing what we've always done, making uh, portable tree stands lighter, more compact, and more user-friendly. Yeah. Um, and no, it's incredible. Thing. You know, yeah, what, what you guys have got going on. I, you know, I saw you at the ATA show and spent a little time in your booth. And yeah, I mean, it, again, you know, you're revolutionizing stuff. And, and we as hunters, you know, really appreciate that. Great. You know, I'm looking for the next big one now, the next big <laughs> innovative move on this uh, in the industry. But um, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Like I said, I, I, it'd be nice if you had more time to do it all. Yep. Um, but developing new products. Um, has always been my passion. Now, I don't know if you've seen, seen our line now, it's so spread out that I really like to spend a lot of time in these products in the field. We've got four different model sticks, four different model stands. It's really tough to, to field test at all. Um, so we have a lot of other staff that are helping us out too, guys that I trust have been with me for years. Um, guys that aren't going to tell you what you want to hear, they're going to tell you what, you what you need to hear. So we have a, a strong pro staff that we're really um, – proud to have and a lot of guys that i've met just on facebook now um are helping out with um field testing some stuff with us and, and working on some of our designs so that's great well congratulations with the success you know with, with with lone wolf and lone wolf custom gear i mean just an incredible story um and and you know i thought you know that would segue us kind of into the hunting and and your mobile uh your mobile side of hunting and if you would, can, can you break down kind of what your approach is when actually the season comes in and you get started, you know, when it's early season, mid-season rut, and then post-rut kind of, you know, I know this will probably take a little while, but, you know, start with the early season and, and what you're doing that time of year and then how you transition into the mid-season or pre-rut and then rut and then, you know, finish out the season. Can we can we dive into that a little bit? Yeah, it's going to be a uh, – I'll try and make it kind of quick so – um, this year I tried to do, so, you know, we still have whitetail addiction shows and, and, and that what I tried to do is actually, uh, scrape hunting is a lot popular. I think a lot of guys just are, are keyed in on one thing of it. So I was trying to shoot a deer on a first go around scrapes, that second run of scrapes. And then actually almost got a third one done on scrapes, which are like when the rut's done and there's uh, still a couple going in, uh, to heat. So I like experimenting with things. I like, um, um, I've experimented with rattling all different types of things, but what's worked for me all these years was a complete and utter surprise. Um, so to start out the season, I need to know where a target buck is. And if I don't have a target buck, that's when the boots come on and when I get aggressive and I need to find a target buck. Now with the, you know, cell cameras available, 
Um, you got some private leases and pieces and other, you know, other guys that'll tell you where those deer are at. Uh, that makes it an easier, easier starting point. Uh, early season, green fields, um, pecking order. I don't have any uh, states that I hunt early enough now. One of my favorite times to hunt would be early September bachelor groups. It's like taking candy from a baby if you have that licking yeah. branch at the property. You got the mother load of deer there that you can, you can go after. Uh, what happens here, October 1, a lot of the leases I have and places that I hunt are October 1, and, and it's like a, a light switch that uh, that's just a couple days too late, and, it's, you know, and it could be over. So then we, uh, uh, a lot of these big bucks that I've noticed over the years, and people probably don't realize that the most, one of the most important times for them to feed up heavy is from like opening up to the rut. And these big bucks will find a sanctuary, a piece that they're you know, not getting disturbed. And that's all they got on their mind is just putting on a feed bag uh, and loading up. So a lot of these green fields, if you can keep them isolated, a lot of those deer are coming out there. You don't know, see a huge buck put his head down for like 10 minutes, not even pick up to look around, just keep shoveling her down. So, um, and the motto for me too, is all through the season, food, food, food. Okay. I think a, a white tail, just his whole life revolves around food. I understand it more now because my life revolves around food. So I, I know how it is now. <laughs> no matter yeah. what's going on, food is key. Um, so uh, green fields, what's nice about those, you have a lot of deer, a lot of other bucks. If you go into a certain area that has that and you got some vision, you can see like all the bucks that are in that area. You know how it is, beans early. If there's any, any bucks anywhere, they're hitting them bean fields and they'll be in there. You can get a glimpse of them. So I like to take inventory while hunting at that time of year. Uh, and then as it starts to progress, uh, they get a little more wound up in the scrapes. I love hunting scrapes. It's probably right, you're a scrape guy for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I've seen more monsters on scrapes early October than, uh, than in, in years past. Now, Andre, will you, will you throw a, will you throw a camera on a scrape and, 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 you know, get his picture and then move in or this, how do you, how do you handle that? You, you, you know, you go out and you find. Yeah, you almost got to do that now. Years ago, you sat back in old school and you you just glassed these licking branches. You found where the where the deer are at. Now with cameras, um, it's almost like cheating. I mean, you you got your eyes on it, and there's so many scrapes around. The worst thing you want to do is, and a lot of guys will do is um, uh, that are looking for specific specific deer, would be to just hunt these scrapes and waste a lot of time on scrapes that are other bucks scrapes. Um, so you, you, you get on them, you'll have a deer come in, come through, you can kill, but it's not the one you want. So, uh, these cameras are good. Once you locate it where a, uh, a buck is bedding, normally you can figure out, you know, his scrapes are pretty close. Um, October, they're hitting them in the dark. So that's a little tough. Um, so it's real touchy there. Um, but I am probably as aggressive as you can get when it comes to hunting deer. And there'll be times in the October lull that I'm just onto all kinds of deer, lots of deer, and, and a lot of guys just aren't seeing shit. They're just not, they're not yeah. getting close enough. Um, these deer will spend most of their time close to food, so they're almost bedding and feeding in the same spot. They don't have a big movement. I always uh, like to associate it to like the spokes on a wheel. You know, the further toward that hub you are, that's where you need to be. The further out on it, the less you're going to see. And as that season progresses, that hub opens up and them deer move further. And you got that happening on your farm. You got it happening on other farms and pretty soon it gets to toward the rut. And uh, there's just deer moving all the time. You're getting in good moon phases and everything's happening. So coming in uh, 
earlier dominant deer seem to come out of the gate hard. It's their year. They're, they're getting their ass kicked by a bigger buck last year. Now they're, they're old enough. They can hold their own. And they come out of the gate super hard. Okay. So hard, they'll get a scrape coming so early. Those are really lethal if you can find them. But obviously no does are ready. So these deer will gear down. Uh, they'll settle back down. And then they'll just start maintaining. Uh, and then, you know, competition plays in. If there's a lot of the same age class, phenomenal scrape hunting. If there's not, and the guy owns the whole park, he could take his time and, and check them at will a little after dark. Um, what I like is when you get about four good ones, big age class deer that are competing for the property, they really start trying to show each other up. So they'll, they'll be there early enough, midday, and it kind of opens that up. So, um, so we hunt those scrapes early. Uh, we get that action, and then it just goes dead. The does are starting to come in heat. You can sit those scrapes. They're, they're reopened up, but they're just at random, and it's just um, – uh, it's a hit or miss type of deal. You now, know? when you're hunting over the scrape, do you do you see a lot of the mature deer coming in a, a specific way? I mean, are they no, are they always um, trying to get downwind of the scrape before they come into it, or are they just hitting it no matter what, however they yeah, want to come in there? That's a fallacy. I, I think when them when they're nocturnal and they're coming into them, there's a certain scenario they may, it's like they're just lingering outside. I don't know if you ever hunted bear with, on baits and stuff. It's like a big bear just hanging down until dark uh, and they don't come in there until dark. Uh, but I've uh, learned early on that um, if you're going to hunt a scrape, obviously you're going to want to anticipate where you think that deer is going to come in and have your wind right. Yeah. Uh, but you're going to want to, you're going to want to shoot that scrape. You're going to find yourself downwind watching a deer coming from an opposite way, work a scrape and leave the other way. So Whatever geographically they got to get to to get to that scrape, they're going to come and they're going to work it, you know. And and then so once the scrapes, you know, you start getting into the pre-rut and then you know into the rut, um, I, you know, the 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 first of November. I mean, you know, for for me, that's a that's a funnel time. You know, everything kind of shit goes out the window, and um, you know, get in the funnel and hold on and spend as much time in the tree as you can. I mean, that's always been kind of my philosophy. Um, that's a, a lot on. of really successful hunters, um, even on our team have that same, uh, they're, they're geared toward the rut. Um, funnels are huge. Um, I don't pay as much attention to funnels. I've seen these big deer, like avoid funnels. They come through, but it's such a, it's such a big swatch of an area where a majority of the deer will come through those. I think the funnels are good when you have a deer that's, um, not a resident deer doesn't know the area and geographically he's he's moving and cover ground i feel blessed because my deer my big deer are on my farm early through october when i like to hunt when a rut comes we'll have our bucks disappear for three four weeks if you don't get them before that you're not going to see them until later season so um obviously that that terrain features uh as it gets they're more aggressive and they're following those now those those are coming through those pinch points them bucks, there's nothing stopping them from coming. They're coming through because they're they're on their asses. So um, it's a great time of year, and it's a very tough time of year for a guy hunting a specific animal. You need to be in that pinch point set up so anything that comes through there you can kill mm -hmm. and hope to hell he decides to come through there today because there's probably 10 other pinch points around the property that that same buck can go through. And because there's no rhyme or reason to that rut, um, wherever the does and heat, you know, and then I actually started doing that, start keying and, and following around um, these does that are starting to go into heat. Um, and that's almost like live bait for these 
for these big deer. Once they go in the heat, that's that's it. They're coming no matter what. Andre, back to the scrape hunting question. Do you doctor up any of your main scrapes or anything like that, or you just leave them natural? I, I don't, and I've tried before. Um, I have piston scrapes and had it had it work. Uh, I have enough property, uh, and I've been hunting scrapes for years. I find all the stuff completely natural. And, um, I mean, the bucks that I shot last year, I was just almost so set on checking, checking these scrapes. I mean, so, so methodically, almost on a daily basis, it was just like, you know, nothing to, nothing to kill them. So uh, I know we have pro staffers that set up these, these type of things and are very successful over them. I think I'm blessed enough. I have enough ground with enough deer that um, I don't need to. Um, so I, I don't do a lot of that type of um, you know, scents and, um, and things of that nature to doctor them up. Do you, what, how about your buck doe ratio? Is it, is it pretty, pretty good there? Yeah, it's, it's changed over the years. I mean, we, we've had some really good big deer on the front property. When you have that, you normally don't see your mediocre small bucks. It's like when those, and even when you're running your cameras, if you start, those start showing up in your property, they're showing up because the big guys are start to, to left and left that looking out to a rut. So, um, I'm going to say we're, we ain't no 50, 50, but we're decent. We don't have until late season and we feed here when the season's done or over season and everything comes in from miles like the winter. Yep. Um, I think we got a good, um, good balance. Yeah. Good balance. And I've had it where we've had dominant deer on here that had every doe, every buck shagged off of a mile square piece of land because they're so aggressive and they move in and out like, like it's nobody's business, you know? Yeah. Uh, especially that, that hiding stage where they go. I still like to know where the hell those do go to hide from them bucks because they, they seem to just disappear off the face of the earth, you know. They're smart. They're they're like the girls in uh college. They just, you know, they they went and hid on they're us and never could. I think find what they're doing them. is they're, they're sitting at home around. and they're not moving much. That's what's going on. They didn't leave, <laughs> they're just they're just laying low, you know. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and then I'm you know, I'm assuming late season it's all back to food again. Yeah, and even during the season. Um, these does don't stop eating. So when you pattern a doe that's in heat, if, um, if she's coming to and from bedding and going to a particular field or, um, food plot or wherever they're, they're feeding, you know, then bucks are, they're shagging along with them or they're maintaining those spots because they know deer, these does are feeding there. So it kind of always rattles back around it. Yeah. And then when it gets to late, late season, obviously it's, we have food in here and these deer are more geared toward, uh, putting on the old feed bags and just still it seems that they run that that rut and that breeding is never out of their mind through the whole all the way it's almost the close of the season here i don't know how it is where a lot of other guys hunt but we have a lot of that happen and i think we have a cycle that's actually screwed up on this this piece here where we got we got some tiny midget deer on this ground too even the bucks are <laughs> no you, you hadn't seen midget deer till you've been to south carolina my friend we yeah. our buck doe ratio where we hunt is probably about 20 does to one buck and um i mean we, you know, last September, October, you know, I was still seeing spotted fawns. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a crazy, crazy. South Carolina is just different than everyone. You know, I've hunted a lot in Illinois, Kansas, Alberta. We have that cycle here and it seems like the, the coyotes take care of all those young little ones through. So even though it's still, you know, um, every year happening, it's, they clean them up pretty good. Um, yeah. Pretty good. And, and we, we're starting to get a bigger coyote population down here. Um, you know, and, and it's just, we have so many deer and, and it's just out of whack. Yeah. I can't even imagine, uh, you know, some, well, I, I shouldn't say that I've hunted properties where we had 
huge concentration of deer. It's, it's fun to see a lot of deer. Uh, I always, years ago, I did not like properties a lot of deer. I want one huge set of tracks just heading across the open field and be able to hunt that deer. You know, now um, I've had uh, leases in the past where on 400 acres, there was almost 400, 400 header deer. And on a morning pulse, you'd see 60 to 80 deer. Yeah. But, you know, try putting an arrow on a good one that's coming through with that whole group with all those eyes and all the shit going on. It's, uh, it makes for kind of a mess, you know? So um, you can't, I don't know how you can control that. It's like, you know, pissing on a forest fire. Um, I will say this, that the, the properties that have the least amount of deer um, seem to me have the biggest uh, bucks. I think the antler growth, uh, they get a lot more than overbrows pieces of timber. They get all the protein they need when they're growing their antlers and, um, uh, less deer is probably better. No, no question. I mean, I'm, I'm hunting a big deer in Kansas. I hope he made it through, uh, this year. And, and, um, you know, the, the first year I hunted him, I think I hunted eight days in a row and saw four deer, but he's there. Um, yeah. but it's one of those big prairie pieces out in the middle of nowhere that just does not have a big population of deer. But my goodness, when one gets to seven, eight years old, he is yeah. a monster. Yeah. That state is uh, in the last few years. Um, you know, we get a lot of, a lot of customers will, you know, talk about where they're at and a lot of things. Um, I, I want to say, I, I read somewhere that don't they have the oldest age class out of all the states right now, as far as, um, for mature bucks that, that I'm not aware of that, but it absolutely could be, you know, they're right. They do have like a 10 or, or 14 day rifle season after the rut, you know, it starts, I think the first Saturday in December. Um, and it's a one buck state and you know, it's vast. Lot, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a, it's a lot of spread out country. So yeah. a lot of those older deer do make it. Right. And you're limited to ambush sites too on those, which is, um, um, which is tough too. You know, you can see a lot of that stuff going on. They got to come by a, a setup somehow. So, um, and we can, even on that point, even in the States that I've been hunting where I cut my teeth in Wisconsin, I'll tell you that we have all the timber. It's got all the sign. It's all great shit. And, and where I was hunting was the transition to flat, swampy, brushy shit where you couldn't get a tree standing. Those deer, them big deer, that's where they live. And that's why I needed stands that I can get on, you know, smaller type trees and, and, um, and hunt a lot of that. You go into those woods and you look in there's scrapes, rubs. It looks like, you know, you piss your pants to sit up, but you don't see anything. It's all at night. It's all getting done at night. Yeah. So I'd find these spots where these deer would stage and hang out. And, uh, you'll find those in a lot of grasslands. You'll see those, a big, big circle or swatch. You can see a couple of bucks would just be standing there and they'll sit there and spar until, you know, for an hour until pitch dark. And then they all, they go off and move on their, their thing. So, um, it's funny. I've already had 10 acre pieces of ground with uh, eight other guys in them have sat in a stand and seen over 10 bucks in one night and come out with all the other guys have not, did not see a deer that night, which was almost, I thought they were lying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I thought my buddy was lying, but it's, uh, it was almost impossible, but those deer all met on the edge and staged and stayed there right where I was hunting until literally it got dark. And everybody just basically is heading out and then they go about their business, you know? So, well, I think that, you know, I think that's a really good point is that when you're going to set up, you've got to ask yourself, why, why am I going to set up here? And, and you found that doing something different than what everybody else was doing was that was the, why it worked, right? I mean, you're hunting yeah. the edge, you're getting into places. Guys don't want to walk that far. They don't want to walk through the swamps. They don't think getting in a four foot high tree, you know, four feet off the ground, they can kill something. 
And, and I think that's a really good point. Yeah. And to this day, I, I find success in those. Um, it's where a lot of guys go the other way, but uh, earlier I'm able to get high in a tree stand and later low. And um, some of these areas here, you can't get away with anything high in a tree. You're silhouetted. Those deer will spot you from quarter mile away in that stand and just, and just not even come that direction. So um, you, it's, it's, they rely to me almost more on sight than they do scent years ago. It was all scent uh, deer come down a trail. You can set up on them as long as he couldn't smell you. He'd spot you. He'd try and check with his nose. If the nose was okay, he'd just, he'd come right on down a trail. They don't need to smell shit anymore. They spot you and they're just, and they're bugging they'll out. Go. Yeah, out. no, that's, that's, that's absolutely right. We, There's um, probably a number of deer in the, I mean, number of people actually hunting in the woods that has a lot to do with that. So. Yeah, we, we do that here too. We start August 15th in South Carolina and, you know, I'm, I'm five sticks high. Um, you know, it's a heat thing control, in the canopy, yeah. you know, I can get way up in the canopy canopy. And then as the, as the canopy starts to fall out, you know, it may be only three, four, four sticks high. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, gotta we find, do the you got to find cover. Uh, a lot of the swamps that I hunted in were uh, just low, um, tag all the swamps, low brush. And you have these big towering tamarack trees that would be above the rest. Every one of them has got a stand in from guys over the years. Everybody wants to get no stands and see the whole swamp water hunting. Well, if you ever just while you're scouting the swamp, just look that direction and there's not a, a place in there that you can't see or watch a guy climb that tree in the morning, go up. Worst thing in the world you could do stay down low and nothing in that entire swamp to see you crawl right up on these bucks and um, get within 50 yards of them and set up and not have them know you're there. As soon as you climb that tree there, you're done. And, and I've noticed these things will turn that everybody talks about nocturnal. They go nocturnal in a day on you if you're messing with them and they, and they're out in the middle of the afternoon the next. So, um, uh, some of these bigger mature deer that have been hunted are, it's almost like hunting a human, you know, you gotta start, you gotta start thinking using your brain. So it, it is a big strategy, no doubt that, that plays into it, but you, you know, over the years, you know, obviously I've, I've followed you and known you for quite a long time, uh, since, since your days of hunting around, uh, Petersburg in, in Illinois, um, but I mean, you've hunted public, private, um, lease farm, own farm. I mean, you, you've got a, a wealth of, of knowledge there. There's not a lot of guys that have, you know, have, have been able to do that. You know, a lot of guys are, are public or they get permission to hunt somewhere. Um, a little bit about your history, you know, t talking numbers wise. I mean, how many bucks in those different areas, you know, over 170, over 200, have you, or do you know? I mean, I'm sure you know, but. What, what, what are you looking like there? The, the deer that I actually have under my belt? Or yeah. That, uh, right now, I currently have uh, three that would be grossing over 200. Yep. Uh, six one, the sixth one, I got to get counted. I have six that would net Boone and Crockett. And close to 20 now that would gross in the 170. 20 over, over 170. Over 170. And a shitload, <laughs> a shitload, a lot of little deer. <laughs> and a yeah. shitload even more of a lot of really tiny deer that uh, some of those mounts are like in Wisconsin and in garages still and things of the nature. But um, I think the thing um, guys don't realize, I, I was a pretty inexperienced guy when I started. So I, I think there's a, a knack to it. And you got to almost find your own, um, and I guess over 40 years you in um, being able to hunt as much as I did. You know, I worked for a living too years ago and I had a job I had to contend with and was had to be a weekend type warrior. Um, I think my biggest advantage is I have a different type of uh, mind where I look and I dissect things and I learn things. 
and I really believe what my eyes are telling me, not what, um, what I want to believe, or I want to, um, you know, think, uh, think is the thing that, that should be right. Or it just shouldn't be happening. If it's happening, it's happening. Yeah. You know, that science laid down and I, and I follow it. And it's, we just had a podcast, uh, me and Cody on, we were talking about where guys are putting a lot of miles on and and scouting a lot now, which is good. I use that to learn the lay of the land. So now if something happens when I'm on that piece, uh, I see a big buck and it develops. I already know what's over the next hill and what's behind there. I don't have to question it. I really need to be able to picture this stuff happening. Um, so mine's more of learning properties and uh, landscape than the actual sign. Um, like a buddy of mine just said, man, I got to start doing more walk around our season like you did. Cause I, I just went shed hunting and right over the hill where I was hunting, huge rubs tore to shit. Man, it's great that I found that. Wouldn't it have been great if you found that last October or November when it was going on? That deer would yeah. be dead and you'd be looking for your next victim. So um, I've always been a real-time scouter, and I've been uh, beat for it. I've had friends of mine tell me, what are you going to do, run all these deer off this property before you hunt it? And, and, and it's, I just done it so long that I've seen the success from that happening. Uh, my numbers go way up then to um, – try and figure something out from a year earlier or, um, you know, what's laid down this week, one week of the whitetail season is a whole different ball game. And you talked about it, this, this whole game just keeps evolving. And if you're left on last week's and then you, you move a little too late and you're left on last your your day behind, you almost have to be able to manipulate the sign and activities before it happens. And you probably know yourself, you're a well-seasoned hunter. You, you know where to start looking once it's getting into that, you know, rut or post-rut. You need to be a step ahead of it, not behind it. So um, a lot of guys with baits over the years. Uh, bait was popular back in the day. Uh, they lived and died by that. And it was, you know, it's really tough for these guys to get off them. And I just told them, man, it's time to get the hell off that bait and start hunting them whitetail. You're going to burn up some of the best time of the season, you know? So yeah. No, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, and, and woodsmanship plays a big part in that. So your, your philosophy is when the season is going, you are getting into the property and you are going and finding the hottest sign you can find and you're yep. setting up on it and, and, and then you're breaking down the next day. If nothing happens there, or, or maybe you hunt it for two days, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but as long as it's hot. Some of that, some of that sign is not even hot at that time, but I'm going in and I'm actually finding where these bucks are bedded and I'm, I'm watching them bed down in the morning. I'm that close and it's not far off the food. So uh, as it progresses, you know, guys talk about rubs. Um, come and watch my property. You want to see rubs. Sometimes there's, there's fricking rubs and big rubs everywhere. Well, what does that tell you? If you're just hunting a buck, it's, you know, that's easy. You just go set up and hunt things. But if you're looking for a specific one, it's kind of a needle in a haystack, you know, these, these bucks. So, and we're going to have a, we're going to do a podcast on actually that also ourselves on strictly rubs. Uh, I think guys just know a little bit about that particular thing. And then we're going to do it on scrapes and kind of dissect the sign that I read as we go. Um, but from years and years of watching it and seeing what happens, I just know, and I almost know I'm going to get a crack or an opportunity at a deer that, that evening on a setup. Yep. And if I don't, I'm confident to know that I didn't screw it up and I didn't read the sign wrong. Something happened that, and, and a lot of things could happen, you know, uh, I usually don't have that problem with fellow hunters, but one of your hunting buddies might've went and walked somewhere he wasn't supposed to, or some coyotes could have did some things or something could have happened that, that threw that sign off. 
Um, you remember years ago when we didn't have cameras and all that, and you'd you'd be hunting this sign that is just just red hot, beat the shit trails, fresh kissing the grass and and, and droppings everywhere, rubs, and you'd sit that and not see a freaking deer. What we've learned over the years with moon phase and that they were doing that daily. It was just that dark. Yep. And you're thinking you're doing something wrong. Like, you know, am I messing this up? So there's that time of year. That's, it's just, um, and, and getting as close to a deer as possible, even on those bad moon uh, phases. What I found over the years on that is they, uh, they would get up early enough just at sundown, but they would not move for shit. They'd stay in this little pocket, um, uh, around their bed and just mill around until it got pitch dark. And then they would move out to the fields and, and do what they're going to do. So, yep. uh, you know, when in Rome, now, if you're, if I'm on that ring on the edge of that, I'm in the game. If I'm 50 yards off on the edge of that field, I'm a million miles away from that buck. I'm never going to, you know, never going to get that crack. So, uh, and then obviously as it gets later, it's these deer travel more and they cover more ground. And then it's, you could be in three or four different stand sites to know in the same damn deal on one, one run. So, so when you, you talk about moon phase, you know, obviously me, you, Adam Hayes are, are all buddies Adam and I were in on the moon guy together and now he's got it himself. Big believer. Um, what's that? <laughs> a big believer. Yep. Yep. I, as we are. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about that, I mean, are, are you, when you say phase, I mean, are you talking position, the overhead underfoot moon? Well, or? See, I, I get correcting this all the time. And I, I realize that the movement is position, but the problem is when the moon position is right, it's normally in these October times, it's after dark. So the better time is phases and the phases coming into the straight over in October that uh, four or five days up to that are phenomenal. And you so, can almost so, so if Go you've ahead. got, let's say it gets dark at seven o'clock at night, right? It gets dark at seven o'clock. The overhead moon is not going to be until 8 PM. Yeah. Th- those, those days before that are the ones you're looking at. Yeah. That third quarter series going up. Cause, uh, so even before the charts and all that, I learned just on my own hunting the moon just because I was a big field edge hunter. And I, I'm, I'm in a, in a test lab, I'm watching family groups, different groups on a field edge, all different types of herds that don't have anything to do with each other. And I, I get to watch and observe that. And as it got to that full moon, it just full moon evening sits were just shit. They were awesome late season, you know, early morning posts or late morning posts on full. So and I, I watched these deer move and it's like they're, they're, they're getting up earlier and moving almost an hour later or 45 minutes later, and it just keeps, keeps moving and bouncing and it goes into the dark where you're not seeing shit on a field edge. So just knowing that I would manipulate the hunting. So if I'm on a full moon, I'm on a field edge, I'm getting off that field edge and I have to literally get back to where they're bedded and where they're staging until they come out or I'm not seeing shit. And if you do that, you could be in the game uh, and you still could be out of it. Uh, I'm not an all day hunter. I hate hunting even late. A lot of times, nine 30, 10 o'clock, I'm out of the woods already. Um, full moon scenario. You're going to want to sit late mornings because that's when those deer are moving. The big deer are on their feet at that time. So you got to kind of manipulate that a little bit. Uh, but more to that and a trumpet at all is, um, 
whether I think. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hands down. I just you had mentioned moon phase a couple times. So your yeah. your advice to guys because because I get this a lot. What do you do on a full moon? Full moons you don't you don't like the afternoons unless you can get in tight tight to bedding or late mornings. Yeah, that that would now, be your. This is your early stuff. Yep. Toward the rut. Here's what a lot of guys miss on the moon chart. The moon charts are right. It's all at feeding and the doles and other bucks. But them big deer have different things than undermined food. They're still feeding, but they're maintaining scrapes and they're they're maintaining their territory. So while the hunting may be shitty and not a lot of deer, very little on a on a uh, field edge, be like a ghost town. As it gets closer to that to that rut, those big guys are the only deer on those field edge. Even so during the full moon. On the evening, even with a full moon, and that's all you'll see is you'll see where, you know, two weeks earlier, there's freaking 90 freaking head of deer on that field. And now all of a sudden, at sundown, there's not a deer. You normally see a nice couple of magnums. They'll get on those field edges and just work those scrapes down. And uh, had a couple of really good hunts on that with uh, uh, my daughter actually got one in Illinois, and a pretty nice buck. And, um, and it was, it's been dead. And she says, you know, what are we, you know, what are we doing here? What do you keep looking at over there? And I'm just, the whole time at, um, uh, I'm looking at one point and I'm, I'm reaching, I'm looking, I'm looking and all of a sudden she looks over and all of a sudden that big bastard just sticks his head out, goes right over that scrape and starts working them and right on down to us. And the only deer that came out to the field that night, but you know, we were waiting for him because it was starting to get toward a good, good point where a few days earlier it wasn't. So, um, when in Rome, you know, just got to read it, uh, read the sign and understand what's going on and, and stay on top of it, you know? Yeah. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit on, on you. Um, cause I get this question a ton. If, if you lost all your hunting ground that you had right now, um, and you have to start over and, and let's say you, you've got to do it out of state. Um, what, what would be your process of finding a new, new place to hunt and how would you go about it? And, and let's look at it from, from right now, which is the, you know, the month of April. So uh, you just found out for some reason you can't hunt Iowa anymore. Um, EHD or the, the governor says no more hunting in Iowa. So what, what's your plan? So um, <laughs> give you a, a funny little note. I just go to another state and buy some more around is what I would do. But uh, <laughs> if I, if you're talking about uh, um, obviously you're going to want to try and go get, I would go try and find a, go to a good state um and get a a decent lease yep if i were going to hunt some public ground now i would go to um states where there are very small amount of hunters and big vast pieces of land mm -hmm. um the problem with that and the problem with uh as i see is efficiency in hunting of big deers is key and i think we talked about that a, a few weeks back if i have a half hour 45 minute ride to and from my hunting spot you know as a young man it would wear the shit out of you in a four four month long season um here you know your base camp you can get out of a house or if you went to if someone i'd want to have a, a good facility that i can get a good meal get a good nice rest and then hit it hard um so it'd have to be a piece that i'd be looking for uh but you know the old knock on the door type of thing this would be the time if you had to do it um, don't be afraid to knock. I've seen pieces of ground that everybody thought people were anti-hunters, hated hunters, and were chasing them around. Somebody just decided one day to, to knock on a door and get in. Um, I've already found myself, uh, 
um, knocking on a door and getting in dead center of 2,500 acres of leased ground that people are paying huge money for. I had 10 acres in the middle and I'd take probably the 10 over the whole 25 any day. So sometimes you just um, don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's what I did years ago. I had pieces to hunt. And then even though I had them and I was content with them, I was always still looking for the next. Yeah, no stone unturned. Exactly. And then when you're looking to, to go for a bigger deer every year, you really, uh, for that to happen on a piece you have is really um, a high percentage that it's not. Uh, we don't farm deer, so we don't, uh, I, and I've tried to do all I can. It seems like the harder you work, the tougher it is. Things have to line up right. The deer's got to get old. It's got to have the genetics. For the ones that, that you know, we we're looking for years past uh, or that I'm looking for now are just, they're a needle in a freaking haystack, yeah. man, and, and where they it's are. The, it's the elite, the, the, the top of the top. Yeah, and, and, and it's just... You, you, and that's what we, you know, we kind of, you know, I'm, I'm starting to, to, to really hunt those type deer. Kevin is younger, you know, he works with us at ICO and, and, you know, he's hunting locally and starting to do some out of state trips. And so it's, you know, it's kind of what your goals are and, and, and what you personally want to do. And when you, when you, like you said earlier, when you run out of rope, you know, it's, it's, it's only, you know, it's a, a finite group of deer that even exist. And, and yeah. you know, there's lots of guys looking for them and it's, that's a, that's a tough nut to crack. Yeah. And it's, uh, um, just think about two of the, um, if you're going to go for a week in Kansas on some public hunting ground or some other state, that's a whole freaking ordeal in itself. You know, the hunting is a small portion of it. Once you get in, you get your spots found, but to get there to, to camp, to go through all that deal. And there's guys that just love that shit. Cody loves that shit. He loves to go camp out and hunt whitetail. I got no problem with an elk. I just hate for whitetail. I just, I want to have my shit sewed together and organized. I have to be methodical in what I do because I know there's a bit of a grind to, to the process of getting there. Um, so I would probably look for more private shit that I could have and, you know, bigger chunks with that. I got access to some, uh, uh, even if it's a public deal, if there's some lodging right there, um, that's my, my forte. So you, let's say, okay, you, you, you do that. You, you say, okay, I can't hunt Iowa. I've, I've found a 80 acre lease. that looks really good in Illinois. It's April 15th. What, what, what's your process then? No. Oh, okay. So right now what I'm doing is I, uh, and I'm going to start branching out a little bit here. Um, get a few more guys here full-time and then uh, in the fall, I'd like to get back to Illinois and hunt, maybe Iowa. So the leases that I have now, I want to get there now before it greens up and just do um, the once over. And how I do that, we just did one the other day here and uh, a buddy of mine, he wanted to go and do it a certain type of way. And I, we were going to look for some sheds, but I, I wanted to also look for it for the information I want for hunting it. So my big thing is and you're not going to be able to do it if it's a square mile of land all at once, is take, uh, take a 40 or an 80, and I do a perimeter walk. It's the most important piece of scouting that, in my mind, that works for me, is to do this perimeter walk around the whole thing. And, and you're not going to get the information I'm going to get on that from, from a, uh, um, aerial. a map or an aerial. Yeah. And now, an aerial, you can, uh, and I'll tell you how that works out um but with with food crop rotation too you got to understand that what you're reading also there's there's changes up a year most agriculture is flipped so this spot might be hot one year or another but anyhow i get to see where all the trails all the sign comes in and out of that block 
Now I'm looking at it from up in the air, almost like an aerial. I, I got this picture of that block. Then I go in the center and I could just go dissect it methodically or get reckless in it. And to me, I read sign in there then, and I know the whole outside of the puzzle already. And I can, I could, well, this makes sense here. Them suckers are squeezing out there. This sign here tells me this deer is living up in that corner and he's bedding there and his travel route is one little sliver of my piece and he's heading on everybody else's property. And you get that a lot. You get a real big deer that'll come in on the edge and never go the, the direction. It's just heading out where you can't get to him. So that deer has got to be hunted on basically a little 50 by 50 corner of your, your piece. And that sign will, will you'll see that there. You, you won't ever see that dissecting the hole inside of it. You'd have never seen it if you didn't do a perimeter check. So perimeter checked, uh, dissect it, look, and I never look for trees. I got buddies that are with their heads up in the air looking, this would be a good spot to put a tree stand. That is a, the, the most foolish thing of scouting you want to do. You can take that in your head. You can remember what's there, that there are that. Read your sign first. Find where it needs to be your ambush point, And then you start looking and researching. And I'll go to a spot during the season that I find that I know I can kill a deer. And I might spend an hour and a half, two hours, and I just can't figure the right damn tree I want to get in. Or this one doesn't get, this one gets it all, but it's it's horrible. This one gets a little bit. Yep. And it's a, it's a struggle for me. Where, I mean, I could slap the stand up, just throw a couple sticks up and put it in there. Um, but I always do it too, is I'll trim, um, get that spot ready for an ambush. And remember now, I, I'm polluting all this shit. You think it's the worst thing in the world, but I'm going to be in that stand. When that deer comes through, it's the one I want. He's getting it before he, he knows any shit's at the fan. And the ones who don't get it, I don't give a shit anyhow. They can go pound sand if they want to blow off and head the other direction. That's fine. Right. So, um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a whole process. And it's here's what's really tough about your own property and land. You never really get to hunt 100%. You think you're going to take the week off? You don't. There's stands to build. There's shit that comes up, you know, stuff that you have to maintain. You never get it. So being out of state like I used to be, going on to Illinois for a week, turn off the phone and there's nothing. I can't help anybody over there. I'm too far away and I'm just 100% hunting. That's when shit hits the ground mm-hmm. and nothing's safe. So All in. Um, yeah, all in, exactly. Um so, so you would, once you do your dissection in February, March, April, yep. you, you kind of have a plan in place and then you, you'll stay away from there. Um, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth yep. and, then, and, and then you go back when it's game time, when you can hunt. Yeah. Now, if I couldn't get down there and I'm going to hunt that piece, normally I would go and I would, uh, a couple of weeks before I would go run the shit out of it, jump every goddamn deer I could find out where everything is bedding right like a couple of weeks before the season and then shoot down for opener and have an idea. So I do my perimeter, which you pick up still the info. Um, it's green now. So you don't see as much or learn as much about terrain, but then at least I'm right now or two weeks earlier, this, that big buck was bedded right here. Now I'm not a million miles out of the game. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, and early, early, it's not really about where deer are bedded. Deer, I got deer bed in my freaking yard for these sake that don't yeah. go anywhere near here during the season. But um, so um, there's that early, then as it trans on, and then as it gets to the hunting season, I hunt the mornings, uh, I go and clean, and the game plan is to get down after a morning hunt and scout. And I scout 
and I change up. And I, from what I learned there and I read sign and I change up and I keep, keep bumping and keep bouncing. And, um, and even on evening post, I like to go scout and it's tough to get that all in the day where, you know, and especially when you start losing daylight, yeah. shit, there's really no time to be doing that. So it's almost real time. You're going to scout. And you're going to be in a stand, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, bring a lunch type of deal and bring your, your, your tennis, but at least I'm completely clean. So I, as I am poking around, I'm doing the least amount of damage I can, but I'm, I'm reading sign and I'm moving. And then so you'll like hunt, that. you'll hunt that afternoon and then hunt that same spot the next morning. I, yeah, I, you get methodical on it. But what I'll do then is if I want to change up is I'll have a, a couple stands. I will set up a morning spot that looks like it's going to be a decent morning spot. I love to have morning spots set up. Get in there. I don't like to sweat. I want to get in there, ease in there, and I want to get in that stand completely quiet. That's For me, it's just, it's just what I like to do. Now, I do dive in in the morning with a stand and stuff, especially during a little more of a chaos time. Um, and it's amazing how you can pick the right stand in the dark, never even been before with a stand on your back. Um, to this day, I don't know how the hell we do it. I think we see the foliage as a deer does or whatever it is, but, um, so methodically. And then I, I got that spot covered for an evening in the morning and then I'll bounce and I'll, uh, um, maybe have a morning spot done. If it's hot, I can sit in there a couple of times, but you're constantly setting up and tearing down tree stands. And to that point. The private land I have where I have stands all set that are in phenomenal areas. And I and I, I read about it, guys too are going down and are getting their shit set now. And are, I can't tell you how many hundreds of stands I have set up at that time of year, thinking early on years ago. It was phenomenal last year. It's a, a great pinch point. It's going to be good this year. And never even hunt the stand once because there wasn't a decent buck there or it just didn't pan out. Um I went down to Illinois and set seven. I have a tree stand company, so I have all the stands and all the sticks I want to. I can set one every damn tree I want. Yeah. You set them in there, you never hunt on them. Uh, and there were seven brand new setups that never had a guy sitting them once that just went to waste. And believe it or not, a setup like that, even without a guy in it, I've learned gets burnt up. I don't know how. I'm not going <laughs> to even begin to guess, but uh, somehow these deer learn, even all our permanent sets here, which you know, there's nobody getting sloppy and I'm, I'm like the only guy hunting some of them over the years you can watch and graduate the trails to start moving um, away well they start getting on the downward side um some of these deer will, will just check that area out good especially those adult those before they go through um they just get they get burnt up so this real time scout setup man a goddamn deer ain't got it you know what one of the things that used to light me up best is when that deer was taking one last step and I was at full draw already and that fucker got that look on his face like, oh shit, I screwed up. <laughs> Too late, brother, it's coming. You, you, know? you have won the battle. Just, it would just light me up that, you know. Um, yep. And you ain't got to be a great archer. Uh, a lot of them, you know, I'm good at picking a spot and get, getting them close. Well, speaking uh, you know. speaking of that, let, let's talk about your bow setup. You know, your, your bow, your arrow, your rest, your broadhead, your sights. A lot of guys, you know, ask me all that. Um, <laughs> as well and and you know obviously you and i know each other so we're, we're yeah, kind of i know you're a shooting a shooting nut you shoot every day and you're um you know you're yes. just and a lot of my friends are really good shots and you're gonna laugh at me last year i think i shot my bow once the season started probably four arrows and two more at deer <laughs> so my what, what, what is your setup i mean what do it's you a single pin system now I, I keep trying to go back to peep and get more range and i can shoot more range but it never, I never need it. 
in the woods. And when I do try and push out, I end up getting one lung on a deer and shitty hit. So, um, like I was thinking of messing around with recurve this year a little bit. If I do, I will be shooting these deer at literally six yards and I ain't even know that freaking arrow is going to hit them. I'm going to set up specific for that. So right now I, I, uh, I have a single pin set up. I shoot about 50. Uh, I shoot a little bit more now because this newer bow we had that was a uh, light up. But for the last 10 years, I've been shooting about 52 to 54 pounds. Um, I do not have to, my muscles do not have to get in tone to uh, get used to that. Where When I shot 70 years ago, I'd pick up the bow, I'd shoot for a week, I'd get sloppy, then my muscles would get a tone and I'd get starting to hit some groups. And then I would, I would have to shoot consistently through the season to keep the muscles toned to be able to shoot consistent. Um, now I don't have to do that. As long as my shooting now is to check to make sure everything's on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and years ago, I used to have one pin, I'd drill a son of a bitch right in the riser so it couldn't be knocked off. It was either on or no loosen up type of stuff. But um, in a low poundage, I can always get it back. I don't care how cold it is, how long I've been sitting, no excuses that I'm getting that bow back. Um, so for me, that works good. Sight into one pin at 18 uh, paces on the ground, dead on. And then from zero to probably 25 uh, yards, I'm dead on from a tree stand. So, uh, and then I just, anything under that's mine. Yep. Anything over is, you know, gets the walker. Now, do you, do you, I'm assuming you have like a cut on contact broadhead that you use that you like? I, uh, so I've, funny that you mentioned it now. I just, I just designed a new broadhead I'm coming out with, but I like a fixed blade, three blade, uh, cutting on impact type of broadhead. Um, yep. Um, I know there's, you know, there's a big struggle between, um, the mechanicals and all things. I can get my fixed blades to fly like a dream at 18 freaking yards. I'm hitting, I'm hitting where I hit. So, Maybe these long range ones, they don't, they plane, you know, you start getting out to 40, 50, 60 yards. I, I can't even see a whitetail stand still long enough to get, a, get an arrow up to them, but, um, you know, a lot of elk hunters shooting longer range. Um, and it amazes me how, how accurate a lot of you guys are at that range. You know, I've seen deer completely at 40 yard shot. Well, the longest shot I ever took, I think was 45. When I released on it, it was facing, uh, South and when the arrow hit it, it was facing north. It, it and not in a in a jump, just made a move to walk, turn, and change direction, and you know hit a mile. No, they'll the they'll pull the matrix for sure. They, yeah. they can definitely they can definitely move in a hurry, especially you know highly pressured deer. Yeah, and you got to remember back then I was think I was shooting 190 feet per second was the bull. So uh, I know bulls are a lot faster now, but they're still not faster than the re- reactions of a deer. So so you're I guess you're a model moderately heavy arrow. Um, um, I don't, I never, um, brought into the, the, uh, kinetic energy with all that 600 grains or better. Um, I shot lighter stuff because I wanted flatter shooting yeah. and it could get the job done. I think, uh, I seen a post, um, uh, where someone from Matthews did a lot of research knows a way to hell a lot more than, than I'll ever know about arrows and weights. And I think they say, isn't it 450 like grains is you're not getting anything extra going over it uh it seems to be the ideal type of uh weight that's that's uh, where it, kevin and i sit we're in that yeah. 450 to 470 that's that's what we and, and i'm gonna tell you right now i probably can't even tell you what the weight of my arrows are because i i really don't give a shit it's, right. it's not in my realm i'm not you know um but i do so i developed a tip a year ago and i'm learning from this um which literally added 
almost 60 grains or 40 grains to the front of my arrow. And I believe wholeheartedly in this weight forward now because my groups were all over when I threw that extra weight on and this, all this testing. Um, I thought it was this invention I had. It was, you know, I was going to have this cutting edge thing. It was the weight that I put on that front arrow, stabilized everything nice. And I was grouping and hitting shit that I never did before. So, um, yeah, so I altered the spine of the arrow some. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, like I said, so now if, if I shot 125 grain tip, I'll probably shoot, I'll go back to my old school. I'll probably got 100, 100 grain this year. I'll be running. Um, and then with, uh, I don't know which arrow I'm going to run yet this year, but, um, um, that's probably what I'm doing this new fix. I killed two deer with this. I, I normally don't kill a lot of deer and I, I was trying to shoot three. I wanted to do it for the show over all those different times of scrapes. And then I wanted to see what this, um, what this head did to deer too. So that was just, um, even Cody came to take some pictures. And he had, he quite blank asked me, he says, dad, did you, uh, did you make a mistake on this or just want to get some footage out that with that new broadhead? And I said, a little, little both. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wanted to get some kills and, um, uh, to see, you know, how that, how the deer would uh, react to a couple different hits. So. No, that's great. And what, what about your stand? I, I know we're, we're, we're probably running, running you into the ground here. What, what right now, what is your stand set up? What are you, what are you running for your mobile hunting? I'm running the, the, the 1.0. Yeah. Uh, this is my, the majority of the season, uh, with compact sticks, 17s with two eighters on the bottom. How many sticks? Uh, it'd be four sticks, four, four 17 sticks. inch sticks with the two of them with eighters. And then, the most of the time I'm ending up with three and I'll leave the one on the ground under yep. leaves or whatever. But if I need it, I got it. Uh, later I'll gear down less. And then when I run my 0.5, which I, and I really, um, we developed a bowl holder now that keeps the bowl off the platform. It's off to the side. And I ran the 0.5 early last season and there was enough room for me to, to hunt on that. So um, that I ran with uh, three doubles. That was kind of my lower set up um and if you go to that height setup just think about this so if you're a mobile hunter and every day for four months of the year you're going and setting up different stands you know the old school and i know guys very successful that are 30 foot high guys scent control phenomenal try and do that mobily once you know how long it take me to set up a 30 foot setup mm -hmm. a couple yeah. hours every you know and then the trim and all that it's just not in the car so that's why i started gearing Toward what's manageable. Uh, and during the rut here, I was running around with my uh, uh, 0.5 with one stick and an eighter on it. And you'll see some video this year of some pretty damn bucks that walk right on by and had a clue I was in that freaking stand that low. So, um, you know, set up right for the wind and all that. And uh, it's a new spot. Nobody's ever funny. Here's the funny there's a permanent stand that was there for the landowners before me. I put a stand in that same setup. And hunted that, you see a lot of deer and you get cracked a lot of that. I was literally 25 yards from that stand on that little setup. And the normal shit that you'd see setting in there didn't happen. The deer just piled down off of these things into this bottom. And I think they just they were watching that stand and just accustomed to somebody being it. And, and they would create some shit. So uh, a fresh virgin sit, I call it, is the best. Best way to go. Hot sign, just scouted it. Fresh set up, man. You're uh, got your win right. You're you're in power. You're in control. So I'll I'll, I'll hit you with two more questions if that's all right. Um, my, go, we talk a lot about mindset, and and you know your your mindset has to be different when you're chasing these bigger deer. 
what what do you think is the most important thing mindset wise when you are going after the absolute tippity top the the the, the highest level of buck in North America? Got to got to be motivated, but um, for me, I rely on uh, man, almost the type of anger. I, when I get pissed off, if a deer pisses me off, it's it's it's. I mean, I just get motivated. If people piss me off, I get motivated, and it's. I'm more of a go about, you know, just kind of easygoing type of deal. And, uh, and when I find the right one, it's, it's just a whole different, you know, here's the grind, you're hunting, you're, you're glassing, you're scouting. There's that. Uh, but when it's go time and the right one comes along, I don't know, I just like a switch just goes uh, off my head. And I think I've told this story probably on a podcast before, but uh, a really big deer that we were after in uh, Wisconsin, uh, we had a camera out, the old film camera. Uh, we got the sheds and we were, we were at a Walgreens and me and my buddy were looking through the pictures and boom, there's a picture of that son of a bitch. And, you know, he's kind of in a panic, like, you know, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know what the fuck you're going to do, but I'm going to that swamp and killing that buck. And I headed home, took all my shit out, just tore it all apart, put a little, you know, soft touch tape where it was wearing off or just got my shit together and then formulated a game plan and just went after him. Went after him hard. What I know, you know, if you got the tools all ready to go and uh, he's back, it's it's game time. So yeah, just ultra focused, laser focused, everything else out the window, and just yeah. 100%. But, you know, that, and that comes from a, a shitload of experience over the years uh, with killing a lot of different deer. I don't know what a new guy coming in would be when you're, um, but you know it. You've been in the game with the biggest deer of your life. There's a whole different Cody just shot that slob this year. And, uh, I was jealous because I want to feel what that was, you know, going after your top biggest deer, um, playing the game with that thing. It's, it's just a whole different deal than just, you know, running out and hunting and, and, and getting a deer down or, um, which is fine. It's great for some guys, but, um, I don't want a deer to just flop over and, and make it easy. I mean, I want some son of a bitch going to run, try and run circles around me. Um, this is it's a it's real challenge. It's the chase, you know, it is yeah. it's more a chase than, uh, than that. So, well, you get so educated by those deer, they, they, you learn so much from them. So when you get in the game and, again and he does yeah. this, you do that. And deer are different. You know how that is. They got personalities, just like people. Some are, um, some deer and I, you know, so why I'm so aggressive and I've learned, uh, and people think they got the sanctuaries and they're worrying about blowing a deer out of there. Um, it's tough to get on. I had guys I talked to on uh, Facebook all the time. And I'm, man, I just, so you go in there and you do this. And I just can't get my, it's like they're diving in a cold pool of water. They just don't want to just dive in, man, and give it a shot. What's the worst that can happen, you know? Um, yeah, if nothing, if nothing's happening and you're not in the game, what, what's the worst that can happen? You're still not in the game. But I'm even to this, well, up to about three years ago, I drive through the middle of this, there's deer out. And I, in my mindset, it's like, I don't want to go there because I'm going to, scare the deer to feel this is like fucking six months from the season who the hell gives a shit what you're going to do but we're we're focused at what are they going to all run over to neighbors and go live there you know for yeah. the rest of the year so to get that in there in your head and be able to do that um and you'll see the light bulb go off and guys that learn it and i've had friends that were frustrated for years and all of a sudden that freaking light bulb goes off and they start killing big deer after big deer after big deer um you ain't killing anything from the freaking the bench, man. You gotta you gotta get out and go go mix it up. So yeah, um, yeah, that's kind of what uh, happened with me. I got tired of kind of um, sitting around and hoping 
and open he would show up and oh. kind of hunting the same spots everybody else i got i got tired of that so i started getting getting down and kind of pushing the envelope a little bit and it's definitely helped a lot um being mobile and all that um i'd rather bump them and and see them than sit around and not see nothing yeah, that was the old story of October Lull through all those years. I know guys would just, you know, they'd see some deer early. And the old lull is that they, they sat a stand and it was there for the season. And the deer learned to stand and then just avoided them for October. They're still doing what they're doing. You know, they're a little less slow. It's a shitty moon phase. It's, you know, a lot of after dark stuff. But, um, and then all of a sudden they see some deer later on because the rut's kicking in and deer are coming by their stand they never seen before. And it's like they, they thought there was that lull in there. That lull in there is probably the hottest, best time to shoot shoot these magnum deer right up to that November one time slot. It's just um, I've seen more Boone and Crockett's on scrapes in daylight hours in that you know week seven day period than than all the rest of the season combined. You know, so um, yeah, my, my all my Boone and Crockett deer have come from October fifteenth to November second or third. Yeah, most of them around Halloween. Yep, because it's um and that's the one thing that brings even the big guys out you know the ladies they just they can't resist it and they gotta they're, they're going no matter what you know so yeah um you ever have dominant deer like literally start ripping the trees up that you hunted on them i mean this is like you just hunt there once and then you're scouting the next thing you go by there and the fucker tears the tree up and then he's like following around pissing on freaking you let you know that he's the king that's a killable deer but it's you know it's a those are some aggressive freaking animals um yeah and a majority of the deer out there aren't that deer. You know, no, no, probably, that's right. That's they're right. They're nice bucks. They might be a little more timid or a little more, you know, a um, little more responsive to too much pressure and all that. But the big kingpins that are in that mindset, public land, I used to watch these son of a bitch just watch these guys go through to their stand. I'd watch them uh, grouse hunt, kick up a big buck, the buck would get out in front of them for a little bit, then do a half moon around, go back and bed down. I'd watch all this matrice stand and just, just manipulate the shit out of people. So, you know, start paying attention. Um, yep. So I guess, it. you know, wrapping things up, Andre, we, you know, we really appreciate you spending your time with us today. Tell us what, you know, kind of what you've got in plans with, with Lone Wolf and Lone Wolf custom gear, you know, what, what kind of y'all's plans are going forward. Anything new guys need to be looking out for how they, how they yeah. find you all, all that good stuff. So you can, uh, the mobile uh, shows are all, out there, the schedule's out for this year. Uh, we do have a website. Most of our stuff comes through there. Uh, we did we do shows. We're probably planning on maybe next year bouncing into a few more. We did less this year because we, we built up our infrastructure now. We have big investments in manufacturing. We can double our manufacturing. We're starting now early. Uh, the one thing that's always bothered me is I'm always been, even back in the game, whatever I make, then I keep making stuff better and better. And it's And there's a cost to that. So it's kind of killing me that we're those guys that can't afford some of this equipment now. So we are going to introduce a, another cast line of stands now with some of these features. I do not want to leave a majority of the hunting guys out there without being able to take advantage of, um, you know, a good setup. Um, I think it'll, it'll be, a, you know, a benefit to them. And, and let's face it, you know, uh, when I had four kids and, and growing up and, and not that good of a job, there was just not that amount of money for your for your equipment. So um, I don't want it to become a rich man's sport, um, but you strive for that. So you get your mid-range. That's why we've always did like a, a relationship with XLP is that there's that in, entry-level stand or a stand that you can put up and just leave for the whole season, maybe only hunt a couple times. 
but your one run and gun model, you want to have a nice compact mobile unit. So you're not fighting yourself um, yep. through the season, you know, it's got to work with you, you know? Yep. So uh, lonewolfcustomgear.com, that's the website. Yep. Um, and, and you guys are going to come out with a, a, a more reasonably priced, not, I don't know that reasonable is the right yeah, word, but it, less it be, expensive. It'd be, yeah, it'd be a mid-range uh, cast line of stands with some of the features that um, we have in ours. And and we don't think that that's going to, it's not going to change the model. Gonna, everybody wants, there's a lot of guys that want the high end, but a lot of guys that are hunting at a medium range, they're all got their eyes peeled on it. They're saving for it. They'll get it. So um, we got it all covered. But you still don't need to be running around with a freaking, you know, a stand that's twice the weight to kill you over over a couple of months of hunting, you know. No well, it'll keep you from sick, doing you know? what you, it'll keep you from doing what you need to do. It'll keep you from breaking yeah. it down, and you'll start making excuses when you need to be moving. Well, years ago, you know, you want you seen something going on, you're thinking about moving, and you're like, man, this could be a major deal to go do this shit. I don't even think twice about because that stand is usually coming down anyhow and sliding her over, and and that's what's putting deer on the ground for me, and always has from 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 early on you know so um, yep. yeah yeah well uh yeah. go ahead kevin you got another yeah. question um andre well we got you um you being real successful in uh this business um what kind of what piece of advice would you give your 25 or 30 year old self now um knowing what you know now if you could go back and um Oh, that's a that's a hell of a question. So one <laughs> if I would have known what I know now back then, yeah, um, yeah, that's um, I don't know if I'd want to get to that twenty five year old and give him all the tools. Uh, I did that with my son. He was frustrated. I think he hated from it. I didn't. I let him learn and um, develop his own style on his own. And I think he's probably more you know rewarded for it. And I don't think if somebody would have been there um, handing it all to me too, I don't know if it would have been as rewarding. I mean, I I literally strive as much on the um, the non-success as I do on success. When it when it's over and I get I get to where I'm at, I just it's over and it's it's depression. You know, the road there is excitement. Um, it's it's what I got into it for, not just the you know the buy and conquer and and and, and just keep. You know, keep on, um, not a big meat eater, you know, so I know everybody loves the venison. I, I love the sport and the challenge is what it was. And, and that's how it got to me, why it got to sport or, or score. Uh, goal orientated, and it just gave me something to strive for. I don't know how you guys are, but I write a list down what I want to do today, what I want to do next week, and what I want to happen a year from now. And I, everything I've ever set out to do in my life, I've done. So it should be no different with, with white-tailed deer. Um, if you want a 140 and you only got a 125, there's only one way to get a 140. Forget about the 125s. Don't even think about a property that's only got that and move on. Burn up a week finding a new piece, knock on doors or, um, um, uh, set goals for yourself and, and go after them, you know? Yeah. That's kind of how, uh, I've learned. I've been working with Joe for the past 10 years filming and all that. And he's given me. I guess the a lot of pressure. <laughs> what was that? A lot of pressure there. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. So he's given me the basis and, um, kind of showed me the ropes, but then he's also pushed me out. And, um, I had to figure out a lot of stuff on my own. And 
develop my own own style, but he's definitely some stuff doesn't work for everybody. I mean, uh, you know, you've learned your own the way along. How many times have you you fell on your face and then learned some stuff and just keep moving forward? So, yeah, I mean, you, I mean, there's you, not a textbook for it. I don't think. I mean, there's some. No, there, there's not, and, and you know, completely different philosophies. Your philosophy works. You've killed some of the biggest deer on the planet. Don Higgins, another guy that that I think you know, you know, he yeah. is he is anti-mobile. He wants to hunt the edges of his property. He will not dive into the middle, and he's yeah. killed some big deer. It's, so yeah, yeah, I mean, there's why why change it if it's working for you? You know, that's right. Uh, so there's there's cool. different philosophies, and you know, and another there there's no even playing field. You know, my 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 lease here in South Carolina is way different than your farm in Iowa. Yeah. So it's. You know, and then, you know, your farm is probably different than the Lakoski's farm or the Drury's farm or, you know, right. whatever. Everything is, there is no, you know, like Tom Brady gets to play on a hundred yard field that's 50 yards wide. And, you know, he's got the equal number of guys on one side as the other. In the hunting world, you know, everybody's playing feels different and every day is different. Right. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that, I, but I know, and I know there's terrain differences and all that guys talk about. If you know how to hunt whitetail, Wherever you're at, you're you're going to be able to hunt whitetail, whatever terrain. You're going to learn you're going to learn some things new, but you 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 have the tools to do it. Um, I just I love to learn new properties, new things like this. You know, this is all figured out. If there's a big deer here, um, I probably know this property better than the deer that's only been on here four years, knowing it. So I got an advantage. Um, uh, but yeah, I wouldn't we've got friends say the same thing. You know, there's guys that come out to smart leases. They're trying to do what like you and Cody do. And there's just no way they don't know what you know. So you're, you're trying to do this, but you don't know all the other pieces of it. And you might be doing more damage than that. So, uh, get in your groove, figure out what the hell works and, um, and stick with it. And just keep, keep improving upon that. That's what I would, uh, I would say. Um, also, and there are things that there are things we can share with the younger generation, obviously that are, just things you don't, you know, don't let them step in those big holes. But, um, you know, with, I just go back to what they said years ago, stay out of that bedding area taboo. You got to let them have that bedding area, you know, don't, uh, make a sanctuary, leave them have this. And, and that works for some people. I don't know if you know that, but I'm a hyper. I was an athlete. I can't sit fucking still in a tree stand. <laughs> I am moving constantly get, and I only get, you know, a couple hours sits for me. And I'm, I'm wanting to go look at new shit and look at new sign. And it's, and it's, and it's hurt me. I've got down a stands way too early. Many of the times that it cost me, but, um, so if I can't do that, I, my system was perfect. And I learned it because of what I, I couldn't sit still. So I had to get down and look around and scout. And then I noticed, well, shit, the more I'm doing this, the more I'm on top of the deer where, you know, the longer I sit. And then when you know that stuff too, um, when you start, making a setup and you're killing this deer within a couple hours, you think you're going to kill him. That's, it's, it's getting her dial in, you know, it's like, um, you, you know, what's happening according to that moon, according to all different things, all that's in your mind is second nature, you know? Um, yeah, it goes into autopilot. That's right. All, yeah. all those things add up and, um, you know, it, it, it's good to transfer the knowledge. Um, I got some buddies that say that all the time, knowledge transfer, um, to, to the younger guys coming up. And, and that's one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is to try yeah. to help guys, you know, that, that want to step the game up. Well, you know, 10 years ago when I was in my prime going at it, if you'd asked me to do this, I'd have told you, I don't, wouldn't tell anybody anything on how to kill <laughs> especially my freaking neighbors or any of my friends. So 
Now I'm been a little easier. I really don't give a shit. Yeah, no, we 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 appreciate yeah. it. You know, we really do appreciate you coming on. Humbled to have you here, and um, I can't. I, ho- hopefully, we'll get to see you on, at one of these road shows. I'm I'm gonna try to get up to one of them, and um, if not, yeah. man, great. Best of luck to you this season, and uh, yeah, look forward too. to seeing you at least at the ATA. Yep, hunt like a wolf, guys. Man, I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Andre. Thanks, Andre. We appreciate it. Take care, buddy. Yep. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye.